At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Are you trying to find the perfect distribution platform to get your music on Spotify and Apple? I personally use and love DistroKid. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash DistroKid to get a small discount and get access to a platform with unlimited uploads for a yearly fee. Happy uploading and enjoy the show. One, two, three. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host, DK. Unfortunately, today, Lou had some emergency family stuff going on. Couldn't make it for this episode, um, but we are live right now on Twitch at twitch.tv backslash DK Mixes, and we have a bunch of people right now on the stream hanging out with us. We were discussing for the last 30 minutes what we wanted to talk about, different questions people had, and this has become very interactive. A lot of people are chatting right now, giving great ideas, um, and I think we have an idea for this first episode that we wanted to record. Now, this is me by myself, classic mixing music podcast, back to the OG days, uh, but uh, we are... but. Usually when I'm with Lou, Lou expounds a lot, expands a lot on what I talk about. So we're gonna we miss him. He'll be here soon. I think we're gonna do the second episode together that we're gonna record today. But for this first one, um, I'm gonna do on my own. And the I don't exactly know what the topic is. We'll it'll kind of evolve as we talk. But this is from uh, one of um, our good friends of the studio, uh, Marco Youngstunna. Uh, on on Twitch, his username is Glowgang three 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 three. He asked. Let me go back. Let me scroll up and go back to kind of the question here, which is, why is making music, getting mixes, getting content so costly for artists? Right, and and I think that this is a good point here. And why is why is it so expensive to be an artist? And we're going to break down some some topics here. And now I, I, I touched up a lot on what I want to talk about before we started joining. So if you want to interact with us, join us on the stream. Come join us on twitch.tv backslash DKMixes. Um, the link is also uh, on mixingmusicpodcast.com. You can find the link there to join us on Twitch next time. And uh, we there's a lot of different ideas. I want to cover why it's so expensive, potentially different reasons why it could be expensive for you, right? And I'm not going to cover everything. I mean, everybody has different experiences. Um, But the second thing I want to cover is how you can actually make some more money as an artist and some brief ideas. It's not crazy, but... And then we're going to slowly get into scaling your business. And and this is, I think, what I want to talk about for this episode as an artist, right? So 
<laughs> and and Young Stunner's like Young Stunner, the Golden Question Man. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> I think uh, this is going to be a good episode, and I want to start off with this idea. And this is going to hurt a lot of people, but I think that we need to be brave and take the step forward and realize why we are, why artists really are paying so much money for this post-production production and, and the, like, uh, whatever their art is, why is it on the heads of the artist to make and produce content on their own money, especially in the beginning phases? So, Let's talk about that. And I think one of the things, and this is just one of the things, this is the most painful one that I want to talk about is, is that honestly speaking, if, you as an, if you're an artist right now creating music, if you were a lot more secure, if you weren't as insecure, and you didn't give a crap about how your music sounded, you just made art for art's sake, would you pay as much money? And I think the answer is no. So I think part of the reason why it's so expensive as an artist is because naturally, unfortunately, and this is psychology too, like creatives tend to be just a little bit more insecure. They tend to be very open-minded, tend to realize more self-aware and realize that there's more things in the world than they realize. You know, they tend to be, creatives tend to be more intelligent. You know, Uh, creativity is a form of intelligence. So there's usually, (laughs) there's usually, like uh, uh, along with that comes a form of self-awareness and insecurity, unfortunately. And, and it's been proven time and time again that you don't need to have an amazing mix. I know that this is the Mixing Music Podcast and I don't need to, you know, uh, talk myself out of getting your business here. But uh, you can always hire me, right, for mixing and, and get a quote from dkmixes.com. You can always get a quote from me and I can mix your stuff, obviously. Or master yourself, obviously. Lou is a mastery engineer specifically. You can hit up Lou at, uh, what is it, Lou? Is it midsidesound.com right now? You hit up Lou for a master who Lou is focusing mostly on mastering right now. And uh, yes, we could do this stuff. But if you were very secure about your art and you didn't feel bad about it at all or, or you, were, you were not, you know, whatever it is, you had a very much more healthier perspective on your own music, would you pay money to get it done? And, and I... And again, so it goes back to there's a lot of outliers out there. A lot of people like, for example, uh, Russ, who got really big off of doing everything himself consistently once a week um, for many years, starting from around 2015, mid-2000s-ish. And back one time when it was it was really great prime time to start getting into playlisting on, on these streaming services and whatnot. But there's... I think that this is a big part of it, right? Now, Thundercat, for example, is really not known for his mixes, right? But it's really great music. Wolfpack, same thing. Like, granted, their mixing style and musicianship and songwriting is is meant to be an era thing and is meant to be that vibe. So they hit their whatever they're trying to do on the na- on the head every single time. But it's not like pop clean, right? So why is it that these artists pay so much? I I think it's partially because we're just insecure, and then that's part of it. And and I and I hate to say it, but I do feel like some people pay me because they're insecure they don't necessarily pay me because they want my sound they just want to be better and they're afraid to release their music without my sound i I think that is part of it and that's very unfortunate thing and i 
am spending my entire career as much time as I can trying to eradicate this idea. Like I, I spend a lot of time thinking of content, creative content, to empower the musicians, the, the artists, as well as the engineers and the producers, what, whatever, to create art. Because the most important thing is to create art. And, and I've said this time and time again on the podcast, which is the moment that you start caring what other people think is the moment that you're no longer an artist. You're not an artist. When you cater your art for other people, you're not an artist anymore. And that's, and that's just part of it. And I think that, unfortunately, unfortunately, this is something that everybody's going to struggle with. And I don't think anybody can fully actually get over it. I, I think that at some point, this is partially a decision you have to make. But I think that that's part of the reason. Now, why did, and I think I saw this on a Jason Joshua Instagram post where he said, the the real fact of the matter is something along the lines of the real fact is that the artists pay for all of us. Now, when they get signed to a label, then it's the label that's taking on well, the label and the artist t- both taking on the risk and the labels paying for the art, whatever. But in the, especially in the early phases, yes, it's all the artist is paying for like my career is built on artists. And based on what I said previously, you could consider, and I don't think that this is true. 100%, right? But, but I think based in the past, like based on what I just said, you could argue that my income is solely based on the insecurity of artists, which is a really sad thing. And I don't ever want to repeat myself. I don't think that's true. I, I really hope that's not true. But I think that there's something to be said about that. If you're an artist or a producer and you are not insecure and, and you, and granted, I think that the reason why labels pay so much and why these high-level investors and these high-level artists pay so much for these for these offerings is because that there is statistical traceable data that shows it does perform marginally, but at least however much percent better, if it is mixed better, if it is recorded better, if it is written with other songwriters, if it is made by these producers because they have their own fault. And, and that's another thing too is that um, I've seen a lot of artists work with various different studios, producers, artists, songwriters for the marketing side of it. Like, um, why is it so awesome to work with someone like Metro Boomin? Now, as an artist, it's cost so much. And why can he charge so much? It's because Metro Boomin has a following already. Now, if you are a, I don't want to say nobody, but if you are a lesser known artist and you have a track with Metro Boomin and more importantly if you pay enough money where Metro Boomin and you he likes it enough where he releases it under his own Spotify account it's Metro Boomin and your artist's name that's going to be huge marketing right so that's part of it too like but granted for mixing engineers for mastering engineers it's usually not a marketing move it's usually just we need it to sound better because the sounding better has whatever percentage improvement that makes the money worth it right now there's something there um, obscure, obscure Asian on Twitch says, is it insecurity or is it also a desire to make the music sound better? Now, I do think that this is a good question here. I don't think it's all insecurity. I think that this is actually a really good point. I think that it is absolutely important for everybody working on music to constantly try to find ways to improve your craft. And that desire is absolutely important. Now, I think what differentiates between thoughtful awareness versus insecurity is releasing, is executing. Now, this is something that, uh, uh, what's his name? But I've, I've mentioned his name. Oh, I'm, I'm remembering his face. 
but in the book The Practice by Seth Godin. That's who it was. Seth Godin. I've mentioned this book multiple times. I've, if you haven't read it already as an artist or as a creator, as a producer, I recommend you read this book. It's, it's, about, um, it's about being a creative or an artist. And, and he talked in that book, he talks about how you're truly not an artist. You are not, um, you are not an artist. You are not a creator if you do not ship your work. And what he means by shipping your work is to release, in our case, it'd be release your music releasing it for example if you're a producer that makes beats putting it on beat stars or putting it on some sort of marketplace where someone can buy it making it available right um whether that's on the web whether it's in some sort of brick and mortar shop whether that's what makes the difference i feel like between insecurity and thoughtful awareness like for that is it it's it's do you release your music so if you have a library full of music that you just don't release because you're waiting for a good mix then it is 100 percent your insecurity like it is, you need to get over yourself. You need to figure out that path. But if you've been releasing music, but you're still trying to find ways to improve it, I don't think that's insecurity. I think that's you being thoughtful, you being aware of what's going on and, and it's a very, very help, healthy thing. You're just being humble, which is a very healthy thing. You should be doing that. And this is going to help your business grow. Every business has to pivot, has to continually improve. It is impossible to, to start a business without huge VC funding and backing, <laughs> you know, to get it off the ground, try one, making it high quality, especially for creatives and artists. You have to go through the process of struggling, of doing bad work in order to find what you, what you do best. So I think that's part of it. Uh, why also is it expensive for artists? I also think that it's expensive for artists because artists have the hardest time finding ways to monetize their art. Now, I'm going to be honest. I think being an artist in the music world is much more than creating music. I don't think that your music, like streaming, is going to be a major part of your income, even if you get signed by a major label and have millions of downloads. By the time you have millions of downloads, you're also going to be selling sync licenses, selling your music to film and TV, which we can talk about on future episodes. I, myself, am not an expert on this topic. I do a lot of post-production for sync, sync music, but I don't... I'm not a writer myself for it. So, and I don't, I work with some A&R and uh, music supervisors myself, but I, I'm not the music supervisor. So we should get someone to interview on that can talk about sync and how to get into it. But anyway, um, that's going to be a major part of cash. Usually in my experience and from what I understand, a major part of how to make money as an artist. And this is important. People forget about this, especially because of the pandemic right now. And there's a huge push on streaming and digital marketing and content creation. And this is a huge part of traditionally of the local artist income was touring. Going on tour, selling tickets, getting paid by the venues or bars or whatever, wherever you can get play and perform, selling merch at those venues. And in turn, not only do you make money off of that, small money off of that, but you actually do more word of mouth. Now your streams are going to go up because you make more fans, especially if you can open for people. And, and the, that's what the game used to be about. The game used to be about going on tour constantly and using that word of mouth to increase your streams, your CD sales. This is huge. I think that is one major form of uh, monetization as an artist that people overlook. This is, especially in the early stages, it's not going to come from streaming. Now, eventually it can turn into like brand deals. Now, granted, I do want to talk about how there's not as much money in the music industry as you think there is. There's a reason why Kanye sells his merch. There's a reason why these huge artists 
do things outside of music. You know, Drake has OVO. There's a reason why even these huge movie stars do things outside of music. Why does Ryan Reynolds invent, invest in Mint? You know, like, wh- why? It's because there's only so much that you can make as the actual, even the artist is technically a high form of, a high form of blue collar and blue collar work, right? Like if you are not there, if you're not making the music, if you're not singing in that microphone, if you're not making the records, then it can't be done. It's not, it's not scalable, right? And and I would consider if it's not scalable and if you're the technician, if you are the one that has to do it, you are technically, in my definition, a blue collar worker. Now, it is not scalable. So I don't think there's as much money, even if you are huge. Like, obviously, you'll be making millions of dollars. But a million or a couple million dollars a year as a celebrity is not that much money. It's a lot of money for for regular people. But as a business owner, potentially, it's not that much money. So... It's it's kind of depending on how you look at it, right? The definitions, perspectives, relativity, whatever. But there's a cap. There, I'm, that's how I'm going to say. It. There's a cap. So you should be expanding and scaling your portfolio, investing into different things. And I think that this is the one thing that most artists have a hard time doing: is artists are very creative with their music and in their craft. Artists tend to be very creative, but they are not creative with their business, usually speaking. Now, what I mean by this is you should be thinking and getting creative with different ways of how to monetize your business. There's not one set ways. In fact, to a certain degree, the ones that do the best are ones that discover new ways to monetize or to promote your business, not doing, not doing the same old marketing thing. It's not going to be pay for radio plays, pay for advertising, pay, go on tour. Like, that's all going to be part of it. But it's going to be the innovative ways that you discover how to do business that's going to put you above everybody else. Wolfpack is a great example of this. I talk about Wolfpack constantly on and off the podcast. Uh, Jack Stratton is a genius when it comes to marketing for his music. I mean, he, he made a book, something about how I made $700,000 in a single day. He sold it on Amazon, one copy available on Amazon. It's $700,000, right? And of course, that spread like wildfire on Twitter, on Reddit, on social media, on the internet. It was hilarious. It was amazing. And, and of course, that got huge place for Wolfpack. <clears throat> Wolfpack also did this thing where they released an album called Sleepify, where they told their fans, hey, this is 30, 30 or 31 second clips of like 10 to 15 songs in, in an album. But it's not songs. It's, it's not even white noise. It's silence. It's 30 second clips of silence because they realized Spotify counsel a play only if they listen for 30 seconds. And they told their fans, if you leave the song on repeat while you sleep we would love to make enough money to pay you to come to our shows instead of uh you paying us to come to our shows so it was this this dope thing all the all their fans there because they have a huge huge fan base right super dedicated fan base they're like okay they did it they actually made enough money to do an uh administer um what is it they did all their shows were free and admit free tour, admittance free tour. I forgot what it, I forgot how it's called. What it's called, but they did their shows totally for free, and they made like a couple, a couple tens of thousands of dollars, if I'm not mistaken, just from the streaming thing. And Spotify got word and changed their algorithm because of it. So 
it was huge. They went on the news for great marketing. Who thought of that? How much did it cost? Both of these ideas cost zero dollars and zero cents, but it was admission free tour. Thank you, Lou. It was an admission free tour. And, uh, and this is, these are free ideas, totally free ideas that doesn't cost a dime, but it was innovative. And so as, as a host right now of this podcast, and if you're listening and if I invite you, I challenge you to be innovative and come up and experiment, even if you fail miserably. Try to fail miserably. I sloppy dog dare you to fail miserably. Um, Think of innovative ways to be creative with your marketing and with your business. I, I think one of the least creative ways, one of the worst things that you can do, this is marketing suicide for musicians, is to record a, mu- record a song and then release it the next week. And, mo- and even worse, rush everybody that's, that you're waiting on. Rush the recording engineer, rush the mixing engineer, rush the entire process in order to release a song without any sort of thought next week. Now, I also think it's a bad idea to take six months but not really have a plan that you execute for six months and you're just kind of like waiting for six months. I also think that that's a horrible idea. Uh, I think that you should plan ahead. But there's, again, let's learn from the ones that are actually making any sort of substantial amount of money. There's proven ways that they've done this. Why is it that labels have the artists record and write about at least around 50 to 100 songs for every 10 songs that they release? Michael Jackson is famous for recording about 200 songs for every album that he released. Writing 200 songs about for every album that he released. Why did that do that? Why do they do that? Um, there's, it's, it's, there's, there's a reason. It's because we need to hype and prep. I mean, uh, the, I saw on TikTok, and this is a very common thing with music marketing. Here's, here's some ideas. Um, for example, labels have been doing this for decades. This is one of the oldest tricks in the book. Um, this is, comes from, remember in Harry Potter when they made, uh, it was in number five, uh, with the, the bitch lady that made all the rules. I forgot her name. And they made a magazine and she banned the magazine and because she banned it, everybody read the magazine, right? This is, this is this concept. Now remember this concept for decades, rock and roll music. And now the last uh, Travis Scott show, and I, I see this again, this is so interesting and fun for me, to, especially as a marketing dude, right? We talk about how Satan is running the music industry and is destroying youth, and it, this is all Satan symbolism. I guarantee you that a lot of this was pushed forward, and if it wasn't started by, it was pushed by the labels, because this sort of, because most people are not dumb, and realize how stupid that is, and it doesn't make any sense, and because they realize, oh, this opposition is stupid, they're going to be like, now I support this person, right? It's, it's basic, simple crowd psychology, and, and, the, like when Travis Scott, I, gar- I I will put money that on all of the copy and pasted photos that all these moms on Facebook were, were reposting about Travis Scott's symbolism being satanic. I guarantee it was created by labels. I, I, I put money on it. I put money on it. Uh, bad press is, gr- is great press. Good press is great press. It's press is great press. So Umbridge, great for marketing. So uh, uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Noah Avery, for reminding me that the, the bitch lady in Harry Potter, his name is Umbridge. Yeah, great. So uh, I think that that has, this is something that we don't think about. What's, what's another thing that labels do? For example, um, this is something that's a little bit more modern, Gen Z, and easy, low-hanging fruit. But when, right now, the big song, uh, 
A, B, C, D, E, F, U. Uh, is it Olivia? No, no. I forgot who it is. Gail Glow? Some G-name artist. Someone in the chat's going to remind me right now, and I'm going to say it right now. Um, but anyway, she made it got big on TikTok because she asked a question, what should I write my music about? Someone commented, you, you should write the music using letters. And she makes a video where she sings on an acoustic guitar the hook. A, B, C, D, E, F, U, F, whatever the song is, right? And they did some research, and it goes viral, like whatever, the rest is history. It goes viral, and the person, they did some research, and the person that posted that comment, do write the song with letters, the person that posted that comment is one of the marketing directors at Atlantic Records and is part of her team, was on, in charge of blowing up her music. So it was a planned virality to a certain degree. Now, you can't control viral. Like, the fact it was a good song, but I mean, how many songs does it take for her to write in order to find this one good song, right? So that's part of it. Uh, but as well as, yeah, it was definitely planned. Like, most, you know how, okay, I hate to say this. I hate to say this. Um, this sounds really, really prideful, but... No, no. If I say it the right way, I don't think it will. As a marketing guy, seeing these marketing moves is painfully obvious and it's funny. When I see all these moms on Facebook posting about the Satan symbolism, first off, I graduated seminary. Like, I know a lot about religion, world religion, and Christianity specifically than most people do. (laughs) And it's all BS. (laughs) Lou and I were talking about the whole 666 symbolism has nothing to do with Satan, actually. It's, It's a slant against uh, uh, <laughs> um, the Caesar at the time, <laughs> and who was who was taxing? It was it was more about we hate getting taxed by Caesar. That that's what it was about. It was has nothing to do with Satanism. It's 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 incredibly hilarious uh, that people somehow confuse that. So on that note, it, it's kind of funny how easily people are manipulated into making things go viral, make talking about it. The best thing that you can do as an artist is to get people to talk about it. The worst thing that you could do as an artist is make people feel any sort of indifference. So one, you got to be extremely amazing or two, you got to be really bad or something in between. You can't, it's something like that. And for example, another person that's a great example of great marketing is the Island Boys who are so bad that it was funny and people started talking about it and now people are talking about it. People heard about it now it's being played as a joke. It might be a short-lived, it might have a short, what we call, life cycle, right? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, memes are also planted as well. Like, these are, these are, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just reading some of the comments on Twitch. Again, you could join us by, you can find the link on mixingmusicpodcast.com or go on twitch.tv backslash dkmixes. But I think that an artist, you have to be clever. You have to, you have to be secure about your decisions. You have to be aware of your brand. Um, and be creative, even if it sparks some sort of controversy. Now, you don't want to be a jerk, obviously, but I'm just trying to, I'm thinking out loud and I'm trying to trigger your your thought, your brain into coming up with ideas. What are some ideas I really want you right now, after you're done listening to this episode or while you're listening to this episode, try to think of ideas of what you can do to really differentiate. How can you one, make people really, really happy or impressed or piss people off. Um, but how can you get people to just notice? And I don't think taking selfies is it. You know, uh, I, I think that obviously, I think it's better for you if you're on TikTok right now as a musician or as an artist, as a producer, I think it's better for you to make entertainment-focused TikToks than it would be to be like, hey, listen to this song. I think it'd be better to do skits and, and comedy than... If, if that's what you're into, then it is about 
just play, listen to this song I listened to and just playing it. I think that's the lowest, lowest hanging fruit. Nobody's going to listen to that. Like, it's just not going to do well. What are some creative ways that you can get people interested in you, your brand? As an artist, again, you are an entertainer. You're not a, you're not a songwriter. You're an artist. You're an entertainer. You have to be a personality. So even if you make stand-up comedy jokes on TikTok, people will find your music and will follow you and will like you. I have a friend right now Who's, I'm into keyboards, right? If you're watching on Twitch or on my YouTube channels, you see me with my mechanical keyboard. And I'm about to buy another one this month. But with my mechanical keyboards, there's, there's a YouTube creator that makes videos on YouTube about mechanical keyboards. He's, he, he blew up in the last few months and started doing really well. Went from like 70,000 70, subscribers. I think he's now well over 200,000, almost coming up on 300,000. He's doing really, really well, especially in the last few months. In the last like six months, I would say. But... This dude is meant for doing mechanical keyboards, some really nerdy type shit, right? And he started making music because he had a creative bone in him. He wanted to do it. Is now has tens of thousands of plays on Spotify as a brand new artist and is doing really well on Spotify because all he does right now is part of his videos just briefly mentions it. It's like me mentioning right now quickly, hey, go listen to this guy's music. It's, it's like as simple as that. He briefly mention, mentions to his already established audience that he has music out, boom, converted. And he's doing better than most people do because he created content that had, even if it had nothing to do with music, he created content and made a, a fan base, made some sort of a platform to speak from and is doing better than most artists that have been doing this longer than he has substantially because he just started doing music. And, 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 and I will say that his mixes are not the best and he's, he's working within a budget that I think most people listening right now that are experienced, I think have, are more well-equipped in skill as well as in budget, but it doesn't matter because he did a better job building an audience. And I, I think that that has something to do with it. Okay, the last thing that I want to briefly touch on is scalability, the importance of scaling. I'm going to, if you are wanting to run a business, any type of business, it means if you're going to be an engineer yourself, if you're going to run a studio, if you are wanting to be an artist, any of this, any of the jazz, you have to read this book called The E-Myth. The E-Myth, which I'm showing on the camera right now, um, written by Michael E. Gerber, is a book about, it says in the title, Why Most Small Businesses Don't Work and What to Do About It. This is incredibly, such a good, valuable book. I haven't quite finished it yet, but it is, it is so valuable in the sense that it talks about why most businesses fail, why people can't scale, and why people are, like, even if you had the resources and had the clients and had the support, it's hard for these business owners to scale. Why? What is it that's stopping them? And they use a baker uh, bakery as the main example in the, in the major part of the book. But it's the idea that there are three people that need, that need to exist in order to run a business. There's the technicians, the managers, and the entrepreneurs. And all three of these people exist within us. We have to balance it out. Um, for example, the reason why it's so hard to make it as a mixer and why there are so few high-level mixers in the world is because they are technicians. And, and, and so, for example, Tony Maserati cannot be working on multiple songs at once. He has to spend the time working on one song at a time. If he is hired to do an album, the only way that he can get more done and serve more clientele is if he had his assistants or other mixers ghost mix on his behalf. 
and they do. For example, Jason Joshua's open, openly talked about how he has uh, his assistants mix most of the song than he does, and he just touches it up at the end. This is, I think that this is the only way to scale at that level in order to get that many records done. Um, the technician side of all of us is the side that wants to do just sit down and do the work. So in, in my world as an engineer, I just want to sit down and mix. That's all I want to do. I need to have the equipment and the time to mix. That's all I want to do. I don't want to talk to clients. I don't want to negotiate prices. I want to mix. There's the management side, which is I need systems, project management. Uh, how do people email me? How do I receive? How do I communicate with people? Uh, and not necessarily innovative, but making these smoother. Right, delegating the work, having systems. The fourth one, the th- or sorry, the third one is entrepreneur, and the entrepreneur is the manager and the artist's enemy, or the the technician's enemy, and they are the one that's forward thinking, the innovative one, the one that wants to try to do different stuff, makes mistakes, tries a bunch of different stuff. Um, the one that's always pushing the boundaries on how they can differentiate between other businesses, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, I definitely myself naturally am more of the entrepreneur. Lou is very much a much more the management type. And then we both have technician sides of us. In fact, Lou, in the last episode that we released last week from when we're recording now, so this is going to be two episodes before if you're really listening on the podcast for the first time. Um, Lou, we talked about our goals and Lou said that he got over his desire to be in control of everything and he allowed his systems to work. That is a great example of letting go of the technician side, right? And slowly letting the management entrepreneur kind of take over. Very important. Really highly recommend this book. I I think that the book itself can teach you a lot more than I personally can. There's so much information to go over. Um, just read the book, The E-Myth by Michael E. Gerber. Really important. I think most artists, musicians, creators, producers, songwriters, blah, 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 all the jazz have struggle the most with scaling and with learning how to be an entrepreneur, how to be a manager of their own work. You don't have to hire people on. You can do it yourself, but you have to think of these other sides of the business, which is stopping you from growing your business. Okay. I've summed up a lot. Why is it so expensive for artists? I hope I answered that question. How do they make some money? I hope I answered that question. How do you scale? I hope I briefly touched on that. If, as always, I'm going to do my quick shout outs right now. Um, again, if you want to join us on Twitch, do so. Mixingmusicpodcast.com. Um, also, this is cool. I forget, I don't really mention this, but uh, I write books. Did you know that? I literally, I have a physical book. If you're watching on stream right now, I'm putting it in front of the camera. In fact, I'm putting it in front of the camera. If you're on YouTube and want to watch the video, um, I write children's books. I have a couple books out right now, technically three, but two books in English out right now. One is Time for Bed. It's called Time for Bed. It's a book for children and getting them to sleep. And My Brother's a Samurai, which is a book about my oldest uh, being introduced to a new sibling and and trying to get used to a new sibling. Getting, uh, you know, so uh, if you're interested in about that, you can go to dkandkayoko.com, D-E-E-K-E-I and K-A-Y. A-K-O.com, D-K and Kayako.com. Links.dkmixes.com will also take you to, if you scroll to the bottom of my links.dkmixes page, you can find out about that. Um, but yeah, I write children's books. So it's the digital copies are always totally free. So if you're a dad and if you have kids or if you just want to check it out because everybody is child at heart, uh, you can check it out. All the words in the book 
are actually lyrics to a song. And on the front page of the children's book is a QR code and a link to listen to the music for free. You can also purchase the music. Um, everything is totally, totally free. The digital copy of the book is totally free. The music it can be accept, uh, accessed for free, but there are always paid options if you'd like to support. So go check that out if you like. Um, thank you again to our sponsors, Loudon Audio and Terrace Autotune. Uh, file pass. If you go to mixingmusicpodcast.com, check out our sponsors tab. Not only can you get discounts to all of these services, but if you click on any of them and use their services, we get a kickback and make some money from it. We appreciate your support. And I think that's it. Happy mixing, my friends. Please be innovative and stay saucy. One, two, three. Yo, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug about Antares and Autotune. Antares makes the original industry standard autotune that we all know and love the sound of. We are sponsored by them, so if you visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash autotune, we do get a small kickback from every purchase. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Please enjoy this episode. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.